Well, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you so much for coming. I'm doing my best to get you some snow. And uh, I'm going to get you some snow for Christmas. I'm going to try. After that, 50 degrees till March, okay? Amen. Jesus' name. Whoops, boy, I'm in trouble now. In the Old Testament, if you prophesied and it didn't come past, they stoned you to death. So, uh, uh, come on, snow. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me, please? For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So at this time of the year, I want to just teach you a lesson called Christmas and the Cross. God bless you. You may be seated. Feel a long, dry sermon coming on. <laughs> you ever heard the phrase, all's well that ends well? Yes. You could all say, say all's well that begins well. And uh, I think it's important to remind people at this time of the year, don't just celebrate the child that was born. You never, you don't ever want to forget the son that was given. For God so loved the world that he did more than show up. He came to give. One's talking about Christmas. Unto us a child is born. The other's talking about the cross. Son is given. So many verses in the Bible that teach he became what we were so we could become what he was. And um, I want to point you to the oldest name in scripture of the Messiah that I know of. It was used 1700 years before Jesus showed up. It's in the 49th chapter of Genesis. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. A scepter was a stick that a ruler had. There are lots and lots of pictures through history of different rulers having a scepter. You've ever seen um, a famous pharaoh, Tutankhamun, some people call him King Tut, on his casket. He's got his arms crossed and he's got these two sticks. They were lower Egypt and upper Egypt. Scepter. Bible says in the book of Hebrews, the scepter of the kingdom of Jesus Christ is a scepter of righteousness. There's an interesting analogy in the book of uh, Esther. Esther was a Jewish girl that uh, ended up becoming queen. And uh, her uncle was a guy by the name of Mordecai. Some call him Mordecai. And there's a a bad guy. There's a black hat in the story. His name is Haman. Haman hates the Jews. And um, he wants to do everything that he possibly can to destroy them. And the Bible tells a story about Mordecai. subverted a coup. There was a group of people trying to unseat the king 
and because of the actions of Mordecai. That coup failed. It says it was written in the Chronicles. And so uh, the king gets insomnia. And so he can't sleep. So he calls one of his scribes and he said, you know what? Read me some official stuff that I, I need to be reminded of. And all of a sudden it pops up on the radar and Mordecai saved the king. And he says, did we ever do anything to reward that guy? And he said, uh, no. Well, I'm going to take care of that. So he puts, he exalts Mordecai, leads him through the city, makes everybody bow down to him. Well, who's bowing down to him but the guy that hates him more than anyone else, Haman. Haman convinces the king to basically euthanize the Jews. And it says he built a gallows so they could kill them all. Mordecai put sackcloth underneath of his clothes. And it says this, it says, he came to the gate of the king's house. And then it says, there was a decree written that no one could enter the house of the king wearing sackcloth. He could only get to the front yard, to the gate, could never, never get in to see the king. He confronts his niece, this girl that he had raised by the name of Esther, who's now the queen. And he said, did you ever think that maybe, just maybe, the reason you are where you are is for right now, that you were exalted for such a time as this. And he told her about Haman's plot to kill all of her people. So she gets dolled up and the Bible said she put on her royal apparel and she went in to the court of the king. You can't go in there if you're not asked. So she's basically taken, even though she's queen, she's waiting on the food chain. When she walks in and the king sees her, this is what it says in the book of Esther, and he held out his scepter. And he welcomed her to come near to him. She told him what was going on. He reversed everything. Haman ends up getting hung on the very gallows that he created for Mordecai and his people. There's a lot to teach about there. Sackcloth, kind of like what we would call burlap. Itchy, scratchy. They put it on them close to their skin so that in, in a sign of penance. But it's interesting to me, you're not going to get to see the king wearing sackcloth. In type, it's trying to show you. Did you, did you, I've, I've never heard anyone say what, what, uh, what John said here just a moment ago, that worry is an idol. Never, what a, what a great analogy. Boy, are there a lot of people that worship at the feet of that one on a regular basis. I read something one time and it said, don't tell me worry doesn't change things. Most of the things I worry about never do happen. And uh, I wonder if there's someone in this room here right now wearing sackcloth. If you're gonna to get to see the king, you're gonna to have to put on your royal apparel. Bible said, we have ashes. It said, he has beauty, let's trade. He'll give you beauty for ashes, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Boy, is that a wonderful change of apparel. I want the favor of the Lord. I want him to extend that scepter and say, come, come, come over here and come close to me. When you read the 49th chapter of Genesis. 
this is this is an amazing man. This is this is this is Jacob blessing his boys at the end of his life. And uh, and what a life it's been. Uh, he started out as a conniver, ended up being a very ruthless father, and, and now he's a crippled grandpa. And he's in Egypt, miles and miles and miles away from home, but he is reunited with his favorite son, Joseph. And he's about to die, and he's got these 12 boys of his around him. And he's trying to turn their ears into eyes, trying to give all of them hope that they can be what their daddy said they would become. And first there was Reuben, and then there was Simeon, and then there was Levi, and now there's Judah. Judah, of course, became an extended family or a tribe. And the tribe of Judah would be the one from which the Messiah would come. It says the scepter would not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. There's a lot of history here. When you read the book of Numbers 33, it teaches that the people moved 42 times in 40 years. They left Egypt and it was 40 years before they entered into Canaan. In that 40 year span of time, they moved 42 different times. You know, a little more than about every 11 months they moved. And um, I found in Numbers chapter 33 the list, I won't read it to you because I couldn't pronounce all of these names. But in the 33rd chapter of Numbers is the list of the 42 places that they camped and they lived between their exit from Egypt and crossing the Jordan and going into Canaan land. 42 different stops and starts. But it all stopped in the 18th chapter of Joshua. This is what it says. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of the congregation there. And the land was subdued before them. Now the word Shiloh doesn't mean much to Americans. If you're a Civil War student, you know that was a horrible battle as really all of them were. But Shiloh is not just a Civil War battlefield. It's an Old Testament place. I, I went to Japan after I'd been married just a couple months. Renee and I went to Japan. We were so privileged to meet magnificent people there and, and work for the Lord on, on this island, Okinawa. And that was my introduction to the ocean. Got a mask, little pipe, breathe in and out of, stuck my head under that water. And I had never seen colors like that. Reds, yellows, blues. It fascinated me. They call it inner space. And so I, I got certified to scuba dive in Okinawa. And for years, dove all over the world. Jeremiah and I went to Sydney, Australia at one time. I was preaching at a conference there. And when the conference is over, we went up to the north part of Australia to a place called Cairns and got on a boat and spent a week on the Great Barrier Reef. It was magnificent. The Great Barrier Reef is the second most sought after dive destination in the world. But it's really surprised me to learn that the number one destination was the Red Sea. There's more aquatic life, flora, you know, more, more, more plants and fish in the Red Sea than anywhere in the world. 
So I was studying the tabernacle of Moses. That's the Old Testament church house that we're dealing with here. They packed that thing up and put it up and put it down, put it up and put it down. 40 years they did that. The King James Bible said on the outside of the tabernacle, it was covered with badger skins. But that's not what it says in Hebrew. In Hebrew, it says manatee. Manatee. I don't know if you've ever seen a manatee or not. It's kind of like a, an overweight seal and a chubby thing. I was in Gainesville one time and they took me down to this river and we were standing on this platform looking out over this freshwater river and all of a sudden a, a manatee came to the surface and it had this marks down its spine, looked like a zipper almost. And I, I, I said, what, what is that? And they said, well, that's pretty common around here. That's the scars left from the, the propeller of a motorboat that when it, those manatee come up to get a breath of air and a lot of times people can't see them and they run them boats right over them. And those animals are so tough that it, it didn't kill them. It just, so it makes perfect sense to me, you know, that when the, you study the book of Exodus, 25 through 40, there's 40 chapters in the book of Exodus, but 25 through 40, it's all about building this Old Testament church house. And boy, was it elaborate. I mean, I mean these are slaves, man. When you read Galatians, Galatians said they were in Egypt for 430 years. But all of that wasn't slavery, probably to be, I, I spent a lot of time on this and as near as I can tell, 144 years of that 430 year, about 150 years, they, they, they were slaves. And, and the Bible said when they left Egypt, they spoiled Egypt. They, they borrowed all this stuff and they never gave it back. True Pentecostal fashion. Pentecost don't steal anything. They just borrow and never give it back. I do not know how many ladders we have bought in this church. Man, have we bought a lot of ladders. It got so bad I would put signs on them. If you take this ladder out of this building, God will kill you. <laughs> Didn't matter. They still borrowed them. We have ladders all over this city. And probably all over this country that people have taken and moved away and took our ladders. Israel borrowed all this stuff. I shouldn't say that they didn't pay it back because in my way of looking at it, it's like God paid them back for 150 years of free labor. And when it came time to build the tabernacle, Moses took up an offering. And the people were bringing all this stuff Amazing stuff that they have got from their Egyptian masters. They brought so much stuff that Moses said, we, don't bring no more. We got enough. Boy, would that be a wonderful problem to have in spring of 2025. And I could say, you know, we don't need no more money. We got enough to build the temple. Hallelujah. <laughs> They built this elaborate church house and on the outside of it, they put manatee hide. Tough stuff, man. And it had to be tough. Carrying that hundreds and thousands of miles, setting it up, taking it down, setting it up, taking it down, setting it up, taking it, until finally they come to a place called Shiloh and they put it up and they didn't take it down. And that's the practical fulfillment of what Jacob was prophesying. The scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. But there's a deeper prophetical insight here that you have to get. Because Moses was under enormous duress. If you read the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 1. It does just exactly that. It numbers the people. And in Numbers chapter one, 
it gives us how many men there were over the age of 20 that were capable of going to war. It says in Numbers chapter 1, there were 603,550 men over the age of 20. But there's three things they leave out. There's no number given to us for how many men were under the age of 20. There's no number given to us for how many women there were in that group. And the tribe of Levi was never to be numbered. So we have no idea how many were in the tribe of Levi. That's why I feel very safe in saying to you that there were at least 2 million Israelites. And you read that there's three to five. Where does that number come? Because the Bible said it was a mixed multitude that came out of Egypt. Because there were more people in Egypt that were slaves than just Israelites. There were Egyptians that were slaves. There was other people from various countries and they're all, all placed in one, they're called the stranger in the Bible. That's why when you study the scripture, it took three generations for an Egyptian to proselytize into the Jewish faith, but it took a stranger 10 generations. So when I tell you 2 million, which I'm convinced that's the bare minimum, you're talking about a city the size of Houston, Texas. It's, it's, a, it's a big, big deal. And, and Moses is responsible for this and he's going out of his mind, you know? Hey, you know, my septic tank isn't working. You know, the lights, the lights are, I can't get anybody to cut the grass. Could you get somebody to fix my car? Just my way of, just who knows the things. His father-in-law finally came to him and said, you're going to go out of your mind trying to answer all these people's problems. So he taught Moses to delegate to different men captains of fifties, captains of hundreds. Ultimately, that group was, would become in time what is known as the Sanhedrin. Those 70 elders, which were supposed to play a supportive role to the leadership. But if you know your Bible, the Sanhedrin played a major role in the crucifixion of Jesus. What started out with people trying to help Moses ended up being people that took the life of the Messiah. And he's got this enormous pressure on him. And you will find as you read the Old Testament, the tribe of Judah rose to the top. That's, that's where, you know, the kings came from. That's where the leaders came from. But the prophecy was the scepter will not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. And what it's talking about is the Romans invaded what we would call Israel today. If you ever studied history in the year of 70 AD, a guy by the name of Titus got so frustrated with the Jews that he sent an army in there and basically sacked the city and burnt that thing to the ground. That's why Jesus said, there won't be one stone left upon another. And there wasn't. And, and the prophecy was, the scepter's not gonna depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. That the rulers of Judah were going to have an expiration date and they were gonna be replaced with Shiloh. In other words, just before they lost their ability to control their world, a savior was coming just in time to control it for them. That's why it says God, it's Hebrews chapter one, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past under the fathers by prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. There's a fascinating verse in 
the book of Peter, it says, a day with the Lord is a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. Go back to the creation account. Do you know that in the beginning, God said, let there be light. In the beginning of this whole thing. But you've got to come to day number four to find this verse. He made a greater light to rule the day and a lesser light to rule the night. We're obviously talking about the sun and the moon. On the fourth day, the sun showed up, but there'd been light all along. You see, man was created on the sixth day. The sun was created on the fourth day. If man would have been created on the third day, he could have said, where's all this light coming from? It's what they call ambient light. You know, just the, what, you know, it's on the sides. In the book of Malachi chapter four, it says, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And son is capital, capital S. It's obviously a prophecy about Jesus Christ. Here's what I'm trying to show you. If a day with the Lord is a thousand years and Jesus came after 4,000 years, then the sun showed up on the fourth day. And so you and I, who are on the other side of Jesus Christ, don't have to wonder, where's the light coming from? We just look at the sun and say, that's the light of the world. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. But all through the Old Testament, there's light. There's just no sun of righteousness. There's no source for the light. This is what Bethlehem is all about. This is what the incarnation is all about. God took on flesh. Because there's only one legal liquid that can deal with sin, and that's blood. And God is spirit. And if he stays spirit, he can't help anybody. But he had a plan to robe himself in flesh. Jesus Christ is not Jehovah Junior. He's Jehovah Jireh. You understand that? Jesus is not the second person in a fictitious trio of beings. Jesus Christ is God in flesh. That's why the Bible said, to when God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. And he's had all of this light through the Old Testament. Prophets, preachers, anointed. There was no Messiah. No Messiah. You see what I'm saying? I'm saying that for years, Judah was in charge. But there came a time when Messiah showed up. Shiloh. What is Shiloh? It's when God set up permanent residence in a spot where it wasn't moving anymore. It was right there. And that's what Jesus is. You want to find God? You're going to have to do it through him. No man comes into the Father except he comes through me. Our problem is we think Father and Son are two separate people. Two set. Let's look at me. Look at me. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a grandson. I'm not three different people. That's just three different positions and seasons that I've been in in my life. When you talk about father and son in the scripture, you're not talking about a physical father and a physical son. The father is spirit. The son is flesh. The spirit dwelt in the flesh. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. You understand that? And so when you all through the Bible, look at David, prophet, priest, king. They had to occupy three positions. You know, before Bethlehem, he's our prophet. Amen. Now in heaven, he's our priest. He's coming back as our king of kings. It's not three different people. Okay? And this is so important because when it's saying, the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. It's not just talking about the tabernacle of Moses being permanently set up at Shiloh. It's talking about God taking up residence in flesh in the body of Jesus Christ. 
And, 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 and this is a big deal. Listen to these verses. This is in the book of John. And when even was now come, his disciples went down into the sea, entered into a ship, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus, Jesus wasn't there. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed five and 20 or 30 furlongs, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, drawing nigh into the ship. They were afraid. This is a very important scripture. Don't be afraid, it's me. That's the same thing he said when he went into that place where all the doors were locked. It's the same thing that he would say to John on the Isle of Patmos. Don't be afraid, it's me, okay? You get in the Bible, there's only two storms in the Bible. There's only two storms in, in, in air. And when you read the story of those storms, he wants you to know, number one, I'm here, I'm here. Number two, don't be afraid. If you're in a storm and you hear anything other than those two voices, it didn't come from him. If you're in a storm right now, understand, he's with you, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, all right? And it's just, so I got fascinated with this. It said they were out in the Sea of Galilee, 30 furlongs. So just the way my brain works, I started studying the Sea of Galilee. I found out it was seven and a half miles wide. And so I didn't know what a furlong was. A furlong was 600 Greek feet, 625 Roman feet. But it took eight furlongs to make a mile. So I took seven and a half miles and I times it times eight, the number of furlongs in a mile. And you come up with 60. And the Bible said they were 30 furlongs out in the sea, which means they're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Too far away from where they left to get back. Not far enough to be safely on the other side. They're right smack dab in the middle of the sea in a storm. But you don't have to be afraid because Jesus showed up in a storm in the middle of the sea. And I'll tell you why. Because the Lord has always had a love affair with the middle. I'll prove it to you. In the beginning, we are told in Genesis 3 and 9 about a tree of life. Your King James Bible uses the word midst, but almost every other translation says in the middle of the garden was the tree of life. The next example I can think of is Joseph, who at a young age had two dreams. He should have hushed up. He never read that book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. He got all his brothers together and said, you know what? You were a planet, you were a planet, you were a planet. Daddy, you was the sun. Mom, you was the moon. Guess what? I was a planet and all of you were revolving around me. I was the center of the universe. Isn't that great? <laughs> you got to understand something. He's the youngest right now. Benjamin would come along. But until Benjamin came along, Joseph's the young one. He has another dream. He gets them all together. You're a sheaf of wheat. You're a sheaf of wheat. You're a sheaf of wheat. I'm a sheaf of wheat. Guess what? I'm the sheaf of wheat in the middle. And all of you are going to bow down to me. Isn't that great? There's a, there's, there's a fascinating verse. I, I don't know if I wrote it down. Um, it, it, it says, uh, it's, Brian, it's probably Genesis 42 it, it, it's six or nine. I think it's one of those. He sees these 10 guys come in the back. He's got a page boy haircut. Aids are bustling in and out. I see him up there stamping stuff. Next! You know, they're coming before him. This, he's the savior of the world. He's in charge of all of the grain left in the world in the middle of a famine. And all of a sudden, 
he sees these 10 guys walk in the back of that room. And this is what it says. And Joseph remembered the dream. Something about being sold as a slave, going to prison on a trumped up rape charge. Those years that he spent in the prison, it just stumped that dream out of his memory bank. But when them 10 brothers walked back in that back door of that room, having no idea that's Joseph sitting at that head table, Joseph remembered the dream and he knew them dudes are fixing to come up here and bow down in front of me just like I saw it all them years ago when I was 17 years old. The Bible said that the tabernacle, the tribes of Israel camped like like, like numbers on a clock. They camped around that tabernacle of Moses, that church house, which is very clear. It was in the middle of the camp. It was in the middle of the camp. When they crossed Jordan, the Bible talks about the elders the officers and the judges stood on this side and on that side of the ark. That it was right in the middle. And if you know anything about that ark, on top of that ark, there was an angel on one side and there was an angel on the other. But right between those cherubs is where the Lord would manifest his presence. Thus the word Shekinah, the shining. That's why it's not by chance that Jesus was flanked on the cross. A thief on the left, a thief on the right, but right in the middle, right? The middle cross, that's what the Bible says. Do you know that when Moses was in the desert, the Bible said the voice spoke unto him out of the middle of the bush, unto the, the middle of the bush. I, I, I met a man through my mom and dad years ago who used to work on nuclear submarines. And I was teaching about something that I didn't know anything about. I was teaching about Ezekiel chapter one. And in Ezekiel chapter one and verse 16, in describing the Lord, it said he would be the wheel in the middle of a wheel. Jamie Hughes came up to me after service and he said, you know what that is? That's a gyroscope. He said, when we were on the submarines, that's the way that we were able to determine direction, where we were and where we were going. He said, isn't that cool, Brother Hoffman? The Lord's the real gyroscope that can show you where you are so that you can plot a plan to where you need to go. <laughs> the Bible said that John was on Patmos, which was the Alcatraz of his day. He heard a voice. He turned around. He saw seven candlesticks, but he said, in the middle of those candlesticks. There was one like the son of man. And when you go to the new Jerusalem, contrary to what all the theories of the Trinitarian fiction would tell you, what are you gonna see when you go to the new Jerusalem? You think you're gonna see an old man and a younger version of that old man with a lot of scars and a bird? Do you think that's what you're gonna see? You're gonna see what John saw. One set in the midst of the throne. Not in the edge of the throne. He said, right smack dab in the middle. Read his description. And around the throne were the four and 20 elders. And around the throne were the cherubims. And around the throne was that throng. Around the throne were these, these, these beings that he, that who knows what that's talking about. But what it's just me, it said, and around the throne was an emerald rainbow. I remember, she, her name was Alta Casarda. She's dead, I'm sure, many, many years. My first grade teacher. Passionate ruby red lipstick. Long before Barbara Bush ever showed up, Alta had strings of pearls. She was a classy lady. Read to us out of a big white family Bible every morning before school started. And, and, and I'll never, remember, never forget her putting these seven letters on a board. She said, I always want you to remember this, Roy G. Biv, Roy G. Biv. I had no idea what that meant until she began to 
put up a rainbow. And she said, R is for red and O is for orange and Y is for yellow and then green and then blue and indigo and violet. These are the seven colors of the spectrum when light is bent and given us what we call a rainbow. I was with a pastor years ago in Indiana and there was, he told me about they being in the back of their house and there was this rainstorm and, and, and when the rainstorm was uh, over, this, 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 the sun came out and everybody said, it's a rainbow, it's a rainbow. And one of the little girls said, it's a promise. It's not a rainbow, it's a promise. <laughs> because you have to understand that, it, it, but read, read the book of Revelation because I've got all these pictures in my phone of rainbows over the church. I don't know how many pictures I have of double rainbows over this church. It's just, I just save them and collect them. I just have always loved them. But I, a, a rainbow is just exactly that. It's a bow. It's, a, it's, it's like archery. It's, it's, half, it's half of a circle. But, but that's not what John described. He said, around the throne was a green emerald rainbow because the first rainbow given to Noah was a promise that said the storm is over. But when you go to the new Jerusalem, it's, it's not gonna be half. It's gonna be an entire circle and it's saying something to you and to me. This time, the storm really is over. It, it really, it's, it's there. Do you get it? Do you get it? He's in the middle. He's in the midst. That's why it says, and unto him shall the gathering together of the people be. That's why Peter made a tragic mistake in Luke chapter 9 and verse 33. Luke 9 and Matthew 17 are known as the transfiguration when Jesus glowed in front of them. This is what Peter said in both places. Master, it's good for us. It's good for us. Now I want you to compare that with this verse in Acts chapter 15 and verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and, and to us. I, 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 just, I, I just meet too many people that, 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 that what, what's good for me? What's good for mine? My question is, what about the Lord? What about the church? What's the Holy Ghost saying? I know what you think may best best for you, but, but the Bible said all things were created by him and for him and for his pleasure they are and they were created. Please don't make pivotal life-changing decisions just based on what you want and what you think's best for us. What about the spirit? What about the church? What about the kingdom? What are you saying? I'm saying Jesus like, like nucleus and electrons, <coughs> like sun with all these planets. Jesus Christ will never be content being second. I read a biography about Dale Earnhardt Jr. And he wanted to be a race car driver like his daddy. They called his daddy the Terminator because man, he, one way or another, he's going to win. It did not matter. And they, they, they'd say, you know, he, he, he hit me, he hit me. And they said, no, that's rubbing. I just rubbed you, okay? I, I, I'm here to, and Dale Earnhardt got second place in, in one of his first stock car races. And he proudly went to his daddy and said, daddy, I got second place. And his dad soberly looked at him and said, listen, boy, second place is just first loser. You got that? Second place is first loser. Now, I'm not advising you as a parent to take that approach to your children, but I am approaching it to the Lord. Jesus can never be second place. He can never be third. He can never be on the perimeter. He can never be on the periphery. You and I have got to make sure he's right smack dab in the middle. Right in the middle. Right in the middle. Oh, Jesus, because it says, and unto him shall the gathering together of the people be. The Bible talks about taxes. I wish I had time to teach you this. I don't have time. I am convinced that everything that accompanied the first coming of Jesus Christ will accompany his second appearance. And one of the first things that accompanied his first appearance was the prominence of taxes. Prominence of taxes. Now, I could get in trouble for what I'm fixing to say. Maybe. But I get really, really, really frustrated with Pentecostals. 
who lose their mind over politics. They lose their mind. I've got story after story spinning through my head right now of, of preachers that I've seen just turn into fools publicly, screaming about politics. I've said this so many times. Cousin Ronnie, you reminded me of it. Jesus doesn't ride on the back of donkeys, and he doesn't ride on the back of elephants. And I don't care if you're a Trump supporter or not. I don't care if you're a Joe Biden supporter or not. Listen to me. God sets people up. And God takes people down. And I'm going to do my civic duty as an American because a lot of people shed a lot of blood for me to have the, the privilege to be able to vote. But when it's done, it's over. It's in the hands of the king. Okay? Okay? So, fuss about the governor all you want. Scream about Uncle Joe all you want. I saw a big picture of Donald Trump in someone's yard not long ago with big letters. Are you missing me yet? You've got to understand, if you really believe that Bible, God's in charge. Now, you can fuss about taxes all you want, but I believe they're going to pay a role in his second return, just like they played a role in his first coming. It's just a thought. It's just a thought. And Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you is going to come a ruler whose goings have been from old, from everlasting. Read that Bible. It's the Christmas story. But I can prove to you in that Bible how those wise men were attracted and they gathered around him and how those shepherds were gathered around him. Listen to what the word says. And if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. He's still gathering people. I'm done. Bring some music here. Call a minstrel. See, there's always been a debate. Always been a debate. On one hand, you've got preachers that say, when the son of man comes back, is he going to find faith? You know, there's going to be a great falling away. You got that camp. I'm personally a part of the other camp that says this. The glory of the latter house is going to be greater than that of the former. And let me just give you a little side note. That verse that says there'll be a great falling away. Let me wow you with some Greek. The Greek word is epasunagego. You know what that means? Catching away. Not falling away. Catching away. The Bible said he has not appointed his people under wrath. Rain falls on the just and the unjust. In Michigan, we know snow falls on the good, the bad, and the very ugly. God plays no favorites, okay? You got that? I'm not talking about wrath. I'm talking about difficult things. In this life, you will have persecution. In this life, you will have tribulation. But that's a whole different thing than the wrath of God. I'm telling you, before that happens, the Bible said, I'm coming to gather up my jewels. Before I come, I'm I'm coming for my people. There's only one thing on this planet that means more to God than anything else, and that's his blood-bought church. And when God takes his blood-bought church off of this planet, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. That's why I'm appealing to you right now. You got to put him in the middle. You got to put him in the middle. Please don't want They say it's possible the optimist and the pessimist will arrive at the same destination in the end. But only the optimist is going to enjoy the trip. 
I refuse to be a pastor that's going to whine and moan and preach and teach and pastor a, a, a church under siege. And we're just, we used to sing a song. I, oh, I hated it even when I was a kid. Hold the fort for I'm coming. Jesus signals still. Wave the answer back to heaven. If we don't all first backslide, we will. And it was just a siege mentality that I'm here just barely hanging on by fingertips. The Bible said that the book of Acts had favor with all the people. Favor with all the people. I believe the glory of the last day church. Read it. I taught it to you Wednesday. I'll teach it to you again Wednesday. We're Laodicea. This is the time. This is the great harvest. This is when he said, I'm going to throw out the net. I'm going to throw out the net. I'm going to drag that net one more time through every crevice and every crease in this city. And I'm going to gather up everybody that I possibly can. I'm glad to be a part. I'm not talking wheat and tares. This is the time of the net. It's a time of harvest. It's a time of gathering. And I, for one, intend to do everything I can to see. Come with me around this altar. Amen. Put this altar into your life. Put it, it's just, I'm not going to embarrass you, but for goodness sakes, you didn't come to church just to hear me preach or listen to these people saying, I'm hoping, I'm expecting that you came to church to have an encounter with Jesus. Amen. That's what we're trying to accomplish here right now. Oh, my brother, my sister, you need to take stock of your life. Is this, a, is, this, is this church thing just a weekend habit for you? Is this just some hobby you do on Sunday? Or are you doing what the Word says? This is the first day of the week. And I'm starting off my week by magnifying. Did you realize the Holy Ghost was poured out at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning? The morrow after the Sabbath? We're right in the middle of the Bible here right now. This is not the end of the week. This is the beginning of the week. It's not Monday. It's Sunday. You've started it right. You've started it right. That's why Paul said, oh, foolish Galatians, who in the world has bewitched you? You started out in the spirit. Do you think you're going to be perfected in the flesh? You've started this week great. You're here, here in the word of the Lord, around this altar, worshiping and magnifying. How about let's put Monday after this one and Tuesday after that one. And if you're not working, come to Bible study. Amen. And be a part of the kingdom. All right? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed so you can rightly divide the word of truth. Understand this, ladies and gentlemen. What about your hobbies? I've told people for years, give me your checkbook and give me your your calendar. I'll tell you who's God in your life. Show me what you do with your time and show me what you do with your money and I'll show you who your God is. Let's put him in the middle. Let's put him in the middle of our time. Let's put him in the middle of our money. What about your relationships? Are you involved in a non-growth relationship right now? Are you with a girl you shouldn't be? Are you with a boy you shouldn't be? Now if you're married, hey, you, you got no options there. It says for better, for worse, and worse can get really worse. Okay? You're going to have to work that one out. And we'll do everything we can as a church to help you. That's why before you get married, you better put him in the middle. Okay? Oh, boy. I see all, you know, you got the bad boy with the leather jacket. You know, and this girl. I can, I can, I can, I can. He'll change for me. I tell you what happens to boys like that if they get married to girls like you. They say, you remind me of my mother. They don't, it don't work. Don't date a girl because she's some charity cause. And you're responsible to somehow spare her. You're talking about the rest of your life here. All right? Relationships. You got friends that are dragging you down? What are you doing when you're around those people? What are, they, what are, you, what are you doing very recently, very, very, very recently, I had to deal with the parents of a nine-year-old boy whose friend had just shown him pornography on the internet. He didn't understand what was going on. That's no friend. That's no friend. Put him in the middle of your time. Put him in the middle of your relationships. Put them in the middle of your family. In Jesus' name. Let's pray. Lord Jesus.
I'm in your house. This is not Brother Huffman's church. This is your house. I chose to come here today. The covers were warm. It would have been so much easier just to just to slink down in them covers and stay in that warm house, but I chose to get up, brush my teeth, get dressed, come to the house of God. I did not come here just for you to serve me. I came here, God, to reconsecrate myself so that I can serve you. What more do you need to do for me anyway? You've shed your blood. <laughs> it's your blood. It's your word. It's by your stripes we're healed. It's your church. It's your name. <laughs> what, what more do you need to do for me? I am here, Lord, to submit my life a living sacrifice unto you, which the Bible said is reasonable. It's reasonable. Considering what you've done for me, this is just reasonable for me to live for you. Now, Jesus, I ask you right now, you know and I know, not playing hide and seek with you right now. I can't hide from you. You know what I've been doing with my time. You know what I've been doing with my finance. You know what I've been doing with my relationships. You, you know, you know about our family. You know about our home. You know what I'm like on the job. You know what I'm like. Dear God, I don't wanna to be two-faced. The Bible said a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. I'm asking you, Lord, I wanna be a man after your heart. I wanna be a woman that pleases you. Please hear my, my prayer here today, Lord. You've been on the edge for too many of my choices. From here on out, you're gonna be right smack dab in the middle. It's not gonna be what's best for me. It's Lord, not my will, thine be done. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. We're gonna sing, amen, in consecration around this altar for a bit. Before we go home, I know you got lots to do. I know it's a busy time of the year, but this is a good way to end a service here right now. Sing away, youngins. At the cross <laughs> for you, <laughs> there's room at, at the, the cross, cross for you. The Sing with me. At the cross for you. Everybody's in the choir right now. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Still room for you. Still room. <laughs> At the cross. Let's thank him together. Thank you for this day, Lord. <laughs> thank you for the privilege to be alive. Oh, Jesus. I'm so grateful to be alive right now. So grateful to still have the ability to say yes or no grateful God to still be able to make choices hallelujah Jesus name Jesus name I was with Victor in the first service his mom died this week I didn't know I was disappointed that I didn't know I said Victor you can't tell me that your mom didn't die happy with the confidence of knowing you were in church again it's just like tears jumped out of his eyes and he said Jesus name. I remember seeing Bill or Willie Nelson. I, I wasn't at the concert. I saw it on a probably a YouTube thing. Just massive crowds, you know. 
wanted to hear Billy or Willie sing on the road again or Whiskey River, take my mind. All of a sudden he looked out into nowhere and he just started singing, if I could hear my mother pray again. <laughs> Old long-haired, stringy Willie said, I wasn't always an obedient son, but I had a praying mom. In Jesus' name. You need to do more than please your mom and please your father. Please your heavenly father. And be a part of the church, the mother of us all. It's Christmas time. Christmas time. A lot of people want to talk about, you know, Jesus being born. Don't stop there. Don't forget Calvary at Christmas. Because the whole reason he came to this end, he said, was I born. That I'd give my life a ransom for many. It's an honor to serve the Lord with you in this church family. I love you. I thank all you precious people that are watching us from Dan to Beersheba. Buddy, they're all over the place. I love you. Greet one another. Say something good to one another right now and encourage your brother and sister. Amen. If you can, be at prayer meeting tomorrow night. We'll have a great Bible study for you Wednesday. It's just going to be a good time. Next Wednesday, remember what Brother John said? One service. Amen. For these next three services at the end of the year. It's going to be a great time. I love you. Let's go to heaven together. God bless you.